The word multimedia is the use of a variety of artistic or communicative media using more than one medium of expression or communication. Café is a type of establishment that serves coffee and is known as a place where information can be exchanged. The following is the audio version of the Multimedia Café. And a happy Friday, you folks, and welcome to the Multimedia Café. My name is Jason Spies. I'm your host. Thank you, folks, for pulling up a stool, joining the conversation right here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where we've embraced modern technology and said we'll take all different forms, different ways to talk to people, telephone, Skype, Facebook, or the other way. Oh, face-to-face. We do face-to-face still here. Can you imagine that? From time to time, we actually sit down at a coffee shop. We actually are a real-life cafe. Multimedia Cafe. The word multimedia comes in the different forms of the multimedia. Cafe being a place where we sit down, exchange of ideas, Kind of that old school cafe, if you will. So you never know who you're going to run into or what you're going to talk about right here on the Multimedia Cafe. All right, let's take a look at what we have going on today. We've got a pretty packed show today. I mean, we're only going to be talking with one guest, Brent Bogar with Jade Stone Consulting. But it's it's really an interesting conversation when you think about it. Uh, This is the type of stuff that they do talk about at cafes. This is the type of stuff that they talk about at coffee tables. This is the type of stuff that they talk about in the halls of government because it affects government. Uh, If you're an oil and gas producing state, this is something that is going to blow your mind. In North Dakota, they just got done with a study this week, the North Dakota Oil and Gas Tax Revenue Study. So they took 2008 to 2018, they took a decade of oil and gas extraction and gross production tax collections. In North Dakota, they have two different types of uh, taxes, gas extraction and gross production tax. And they just kind of broke down where that goes. North Dakota has an East versus West Hatfield-McCoy thing that's been going on probably since, I don't know, the 50s, 60s, 20s, 30s, whatever. Uh, it's been uh, It's been going on for as long as I've been alive, that's for sure. And the East is kind of a, a sodbusters and agriculture mindset, uh, universities, if you will. And the West is a little bit more ranching, a little bit more oil and gas. And so oftentimes the funds from the state capital uh, end up on the East side because quite honestly, 60% of the population is on the East side. I mean, when I say East side, I'm talking like 45 miles from the border. So the East side of North Dakota borders Minnesota. You go about 45 miles east, or I'm sorry, west of there, draw a straight line, that's 60 to 65% of the population. So uh, there's an imbalance when it comes to the geography, but there's so much economic activity out in the Bakken oil fields that the state, their revenue is 50% oil and gas tax. That is a lot of eggs to put in one basket. So that's what we talk about here, that this is kind of the first time this has been uncovered, Uh, The state's raised almost $18 billion over the past 10 years. And that right there is 44% of the total tax revenues. So when when we talk about 50%, that's over the last five years. So rather than try, when the state was at 44%, rather than try to figure out a way to diversify their economy and diversify 
their way of, of uh, collecting taxes. They just kept going after oil and gas, kept going after oil and gas. That's a low-hanging fruit. Hey, man, let's go pick on the oil and gas companies because if they try to defend themselves, well, then they're picking on us because they're always the bad guys. There's, they're always the big monolithic creatures. You know, and honestly, that, that is the narrative, and that's sad. That's really sad because um, I've found in my personal experience over the last 10 years that the oil and gas industry is by far the fairest, one of the more giving, and one of the more opportunistic. Um, they're not the enablers uh, that you would that you'd want not want to have. They'll give you an opportunity. And you know what? As long as you're willing to show up and you're willing to try, they've probably got some somewhere for you to work. They've probably got somewhere for you to contribute. And that's the beauty of it. The oh man, if if anyway, I'm sorry. I, I just get into it a little bit because um, I, I think that the oil and gas industry gets picked on a little bit too much. And this is one of those studies that really points it out. It, it really points it out. I mean, when you talk about a state that was going through a downturn and they decided to go after more money from the oil and gas as opposed to trying to diversify their, their tax revenues, I mean, there's, there's all this money going into the UAS industry, all this money that's going into uh, agriculture and technology, but yet the state leaders continue to go after the oil and gas industry. Just doesn't make any sense. Makes no sense. And that's what we talk about with uh, Brent Bogar, Jade Stone Consulting, how the state has raised over $18 billion and where that money is going, kind of some of the um, uh, community donations, the nomadic workers that make up. So really, and this is true, this is a little preview here, folks. This is kind of what we talk about is when you really look under the microscope, I'll bet you, that that 50% of the tax revenue is actually more of 60 to 65%. Because when you think of all those nomadic workers that live in San Antonio and in Dallas and in Oklahoma and other places, and they're living in hotels for a week at a month, two months at a time, there's a tourism tax. And then there's the sales tax that they are using on the local entities and then you've got even the vehicle registration tax there's there's these little kind of you know little pebbles i guess of tax dollars that didn't go into this study and we talk about that i asked brent bogar and he says no we didn't talk about that but he's aware of it so we had that conversation as well and then when you go a step further when you look at the amount of donations that the oil and gas industry has given to the stapleistic a word I just made up right now. When you talk about a staples of a community, you're talking about roads, you're talking about sewer, you're talking about water, you're talking about hospitals, you're talking about schools. The oil and gas communities, are, oil and gas industries are constantly, when I say constantly, I mean like every day, donating 25, 50, 100, a million dollars to local communities. In many cases, the government should have been taking care of those buildings and those infrastructure projects, but they're not. For whatever reason, I don't want to get into that politics, but they're not. And so the oil and gas communities have to donate on top of that. We talk about that as well, about how it might even be more than the 65% when you stop and think about it. See, now we're getting into the ridiculousness when we're talking about 
a state relying on more than 60% of an industry for their revenue? That's ridiculous. But it might even be higher in reality. It might be. So I invite you folks to listen to this interview with Brent Boger, Jade Stone Consulting, here on the Multimedia Cafe. It's a fantastic program. I'm very excited for it. And uh, I tell you what, I'm looking at the clock here, so let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to go right into our conversation with Brent Bogart, Jade Stone Consulting. My name is Jason Spies, and this is the Multimedia Cafe. Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts, and then you let people make up their own minds. If you want someone who's competent, you don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. It seems everywhere I go these days, someone is telling me about the success of Hatch Coaching. Listen to what professional speaker Mark J. Lindquist has to say. To see Eric Hatch grow his business and then start to share it with other people, I think is one of those great steps in life. You know, what do you do in society? You succeed at a thing and then you teach other people how you did it. And now to see Eric duplicating his genius across the country, I'm telling you. There's a world changer down the street, and his name is Eric Hatch. For more information, call 701-212-1572 or visit coachingwithhatch.com. That's coachingwithhatch.com. Meridian Energy Group of Belfield, North Dakota, is building the most technologically advanced oil refinery on the planet, the Davis Refinery, a project designed to achieve emission control levels the industry has never seen before. The Davis Refinery, working for North Dakota. MeridianEnergyGroupInc.com. Welcome back to the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for pulling up a stool, joining the conversation, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Well, coming up next, we got Brent Bogart with Jade Stone Consulting talking about a North Dakota oil and gas tax revenue study that's going to blow your mind. Brent Bogart. Name is Brent Bogart. I work with Jade Stone Consulting. Excellent. Thank you for joining the program here today. And one of the things that we wanted to talk to you about was a new study or a new, I guess, uh, paper, white paper or something along those lines. It's been done. It's a projection of oil and gas um, 
taxes or a collection of the something along those lines. It has to do with uh, oil and gas taxes and the state of North Dakota. And I'll let you kind of fill in the blanks from there because I'm. this is new. I mean, I just got this press release yesterday, and I haven't really even had a chance to uh, take a look at it. So um, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about it, and you're going to take the lead on it because I'm skimming as we go. Sounds good. Yeah, what we've got here is the North Dakota Petroleum Council and Western Dakota Energy Association. They partnered to put together a, a report that really went back and looked at since the um, really kind of the birth of the Bakken, um 2007 um, through 2018, which for the state would be fiscal years 2008 to 2018. Look at all of the taxes specific to the oil industry. So that would be the production tax and the extraction tax. And just look at those two taxes and say, how much has the state collected in those tax dollars? And where have those tax dollars gone? The Petroleum Council, they had the position of, we want to we see where the money's um, going. As the industry, they pay these taxes. Um, and so where is the money being put to use? Western Dakota Energy, kind of the same thing, but they wanted to see, you know, kind of, in a sense, break down this east versus west wall, that everyone has benefited from the um, oil industry and the taxes that are being paid by the state. Um, there's always going to be the argument of who needs more or wants more. Um, I joke and say, you know, every community wants an extra 5%, but at some point it adds up to over 100%, so you, no one's ever going to get exactly what they want. But that's what this kind of the uh, background of this report was, is let's, let's look at this and let's see how much has gone in to the state and where has it been put to use. And so we um, gathered that information together. Um, it turns out that over the last 11 fiscal years for the state, we're just shy of $18 billion paid in in extraction and production taxes. Uh, I always um, clarify that because that doesn't include the additional taxes that the industry pays, sales tax, income tax, local property taxes. This is just those two specific taxes to this industry, um, the extraction and production tax and where that money goes. It's pretty phenomenal when you think about that. Um, the numbers show that you know, for the state, the state collects a number of taxes. We're talking over the last five years, uh, the extraction and production tax coming into the state that the state's collected is 50% of all of the taxes that the state has collected. That's sales tax, income tax, motor vehicle tax. When you ta total up all the taxes that the state collects, extraction and production tax equal 50% of those dollars. So it's a um, pretty significant amount of revenue to the state. So you're saying out of all the taxes, 50% comes from those two taxes? That's correct. Over the last five years. Over the last five years, and that I, well, does that include income tax and all those others too, or just some a certain? It area? does. So, out of all the no. taxes in North Dakota, fifty percent of them come from the production and extraction tax. That's that, correct. That is Count. absolutely incredible. Is that is that the norm in states like Texas and you know Alaska, states that you know are in the top, New Mexico, the top four for oil production, or is that something unique to North Dakota because I've always been told that North Dakota has the highest extraction tax or one of the highest in the nation. Yeah, it, it's not the norm, Jason, is that this is um, that level of dependency of revenues coming from um, a single industry like Texas, um, 
there's a number of, and obviously when we start getting into uh, tax policies, comparing state to state's always a tough thing. For example, in Texas, they don't have a production tax that's collected at the state because they allow property tax at the wellhead for the local communities. And so there's always this kind of differential sure. um, where the North Dakota, they collect everything at the state and so then distribute it back, whereas some states don't. And then Alaska is always tough to compare to because people like to look at Alaska, you know, even like with here in North Dakota, we hear about the, the legacy fund is one of the funds that these tax dollars go into. Um, and people say, why can't we be out like Alaska and pay, pay the citizens a dividend check like Alaska does? Well, Alaska collects taxes, but Alaska also owns the minerals and collects the, right. the royalties on those minerals. North Dakota doesn't own the minerals. They're owned by private individuals. Right. So, Alaska, it's like a ta- tax rebate every year, except for its oil. That, that's all. Yeah. Yep. And if, talk to people that, uh, are, that do business up there, and it's frustrating. It's frustrating because in order to get a single thing done, you got to put it through the legislative process for oil and gas. And you know that time is money in oil and gas. So, no, I I understand all that. But so my my question, I guess, is more of when you kind of as a broad brush, North Dakota is very reliant on oil and gas taxes. I mean, that's that 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 is plain as day. If if fifty percent of the tax yep. revenue comes from those two taxes, you're not even including the amount of uh, of uh, Halliburton trucks and the amount of those those um, license registrations and out of fees t- uh, taxes. I mean, because there there's a let's be honest, there's a lot of people that live in Western North Dakota and even on the east side here. Uh, where if the oil and gas industry is not percolating and not moving, they're not living in our state. And so, therefore, all of that tax revenue goes away, too. I'm sure that your study did not get into that, but I do think it is worthy of mentioning. It is worthy of mentioning because, like, you're exactly right, Jason. It doesn't include the sales tax, all of those vehicles. I mean, they talk roughly two hundred to $300,000 in state sales tax for every um, well that's drilled. Um, so, you know, much larger impact to the state than just the extraction and production tax. Now, Petroleum Council, I believe in March, um, every two years, they actually commission NDSU to do an economic impact study that takes a look at those um, other taxes as well as kind of the um, secondary effects, as you know, one job in, you know, in the oil industry, well, that means you need people in support industries, whether it's retail or restaurants or services and those types of things. So they have an economic impact study coming out that looks at that, um, those secondary effects. Um, But to say that the industry is key to the state, I think is almost an understatement at this point. Well, it is. I mean, I listen, I, I, I do an oil and gas show and I've been doing it for like six years now, seven years. And it's no secret that I am very upfront when I tell people that oil and gas is vital to the economy. It's first of all, it's the only industry that's added jobs over the last 10 years. If you take every industry in the, in, in the United States and look at the net gain of jobs, all this entrepreneur and technology and startups and and all these new things, they haven't produced a net gain in jobs after 10 years. The mining industry, aka oil and gas, is the only one that's done so. So when I take a look at a solid industry like that, and they are reliant on, on pricing though, 
They're they're reliant on pricing. Yep. To see a state so reliant on it and then constantly trying to figure out new ways to get more money out of it, that that really that's not to me that's the wrong direction. Like instead of trying to get more money, because I'm I'm talking with uh, Meryl Pepcorn a little bit later today, and he's got some new extraction tax, and I don't know much about it, but he's trying to increase. Yep. He's trying basically at the end of the day, he's trying to get more money from the oil and gas companies, and I, I get I get it because I. I do a program that's energy themed. That doesn't mean I, I'm not a, a, a logical, sensible person, because when you start trying to get more money out of there, um, that's not the right way to go. It, you you want to diversify your taxes and that sort of thing, so that in times of up and down, your government can stay stable and not. I mean, listen, if if oil goes down to thirty bucks next week, which it can and it has before, and and we all remember the '90s. It was a decade of low oil prices. It wasn't a couple months. It was a decade. So this stuff historically has happened before. My my question is, is, is the state aware of this? And are they trying to do anything to correct it? This is great. I'm going to ask Merrill this question later on, that what, why are you trying to put more eggs in the same basket? Okay. All right. There, there, there's my soapbox question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well... Well, and I, I, I agree with you, Jason. I think we've got to be practical, you know, um, as even um, working out in Western North Dakota and the Western Dakota Energy Association and its members, they used to, they'd come down to the session every, every year or every time um, here to Bismarck and basically say, uh, quick kill, don't kill the golden goose. Mr. Brent Boger with Jade Stone Consulting. Please hold that thought for a moment. Take a quick break. We come back. We're going to continue the conversation with Brent Bogar with Jade Stone Consulting talking about the results of the recent North Dakota oil and gas tax revenue study and how the state is very reliant on the oil and gas revenues. My name is Jason Spies and this is the Multimedia Cafe. Welcome back to the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies. I'm your host. Thank you, folks, for pulling up stool, joining the conversation, and choosing us as part of your content. We appreciate it very, very much. We're going to continue our conversation here with Brent Bogar with Jade Stone Consulting, talking about the oil and gas tax revenue study. This is Brent Bogar. I'm here to Bismarck and basically say, uh, quick kill, don't kill the golden goose. You can only squeeze so much out of it before you're going to kill it and that's that's where like this idea of increasing the extraction tax and where that comes from is in 2015 the legislature reduced the extraction tax from six and a half percent to five percent and um in exchange for that they got rid of what was called the big trigger which because oil prices had collapsed would have actually reduced the extraction tax to zero percent and it would have stayed at that rate for nearly two years before it would have come back in and obviously if we would have had the big trigger that would have been a huge loss to the state um merrill and others say well you didn't need to reduce the rate you could have kept it at six and a half and just got rid of the big trigger I don't personally, I don't agree with that because the Bakken, North Dakota, competes with Texas, New Mexico, Colorado, Wyoming, Oklahoma for these capital dollars that the industry invests. They have other options, other options that, quite frankly, 
are more lucrative. You don't have cold weather. You don't have transportation restrictions, you know, capacity restrictions on pipelines and stuff in these other fields. And so you have to remember we're competing on a not just a national but a global market. And to continue to increase taxes on a single industry, um, as you said, A, you're putting all your eggs in one basket. You're continuing to lean on that basket instead of looking at ways to diversify. And when you see these numbers that we're talking, the amount of money that comes into this state just from this industry, it's that's a huge reliance on a single industry to support state programs, state funding for everything from education to water projects to roads. I mean, it's, it's not like it's just in one area that the state uses the oil revenue. I mean, it supports the general fund. It's been used to build schools. It's been used to build um facilities on our university campuses. It's been used to fund K-12 education, um, highways, water projects, flood control. I don't think you can find a a thing that has not received the benefit of the oil industry. So I'm looking at this, this white paper you guys put together, this executive summary, and the headline is State Oil Tax Distribution by type, fiscal years 2008 to 2018. And you've got a list of all the counties across North Dakota. And then the next thing is uh, property tax, I want to say. Yep. Talk to me about that a little bit in terms of the oil tax distribution. Now, when I look at, say, Cass County, and it says $93 million and some change, is that how much the oil tax has given Cass County? And then 322 yep. million in, in, well, 323 million actually in water. So um, the oil taxes that have been extracted from Western North Dakota have been repurposed by the state and redistributed to, say, Cass County in the tune of $93 million in property tax relief. Is that accurate? That's correct. Yeah. The, oh, and, wow. Um, Wow, that I can see yeah. where this is going to cause some problems. You, you know, if you take the line across on Cass County, um, it's close to a billion dollars. It's close to, I mean, it's yeah. $821 million. I'm sorry, we're going to round up $73 million. And so we're going to say, yeah. we're going to call it $821 million. Now, let's, let's juxtapose that, by the way, with is it Williams County that Dickinson's in? Williams County is Williston. That is the, the okay. highest. Now, now, good for them. They, now, Williston's got some money. They got close. You know, they got nine hundred and forty-three million. So, that is a good sign, though. That is a good sign because that's you know that was the hotbed. And and what a lot of people don't know that are listening to this, whether you're in Wyoming or whether you're in South Dakota or Montana or even if you're in North Dakota, a lot of these roads in Western North Dakota are actually getting getting updated for the first time in a century. I mean, a lot of time, well, maybe not a century, but they were built to basically have a couple combines a year go down them. And that was it. I mean, these roads were so underbuilt, a rainstorm would literally move part of the road off of the road, (laughs) part of the asphalt off the road. So that's a good sign, at least, you know, that there's some investment going in there because I'm looking at, you know, a lot of it looks like transportation and some road stuff. So that's a good sign. That you know, we're not going to totally pick it, it, on this thing. <laughs> no, no, it, it is a good thing, and and 
that was even with Western Dakota Energy, Jeff Simons, their executive director, and he looks at this and he says, you know, this, this shows that there has been investment made out west to support the industry. Um, as I said, everyone's going to argue that they need more, those types of things, and, you know, I'm not going to parse into that one, but uh, the reality is, is we've made the state has made significant investments in the communities out west to support the industry, but it's made these investments across the state for some of these projects. Um, and so I think it's the state as a whole has very much benefited, but we have to recognize the, the benefits coming from a single industry. And I guess from my standpoint, that's, that's what I see in this study is how much the state has become dependent on a single industry. And we have to make sure that we, you know, I'll say it this way. We need to make sure we take care of the industry with appropriate regulations. Is the tax burden the, the right tax burden? Raising the taxes on an industry that has been supporting you this much might not be the smartest thing at this point in time when we're still in a very weak egg economy. Um, and some of the other economic indicators of the state are not exactly the strongest. And so do you really want to pick on the one that's actually um, growing and supporting you? Well, and it's it's really one of the few that's still pretty diverse in terms of economic ripple. You start looking at the UA, yep. you start looking at the UAS industry and some of the technology that's pretty centralized. There's not the robust um economic ripple that the oil and gas industry brings in. And um, I, I, I don't know if I phrased that correctly, but I, I, I think I kind of made a little bit of a point there that there's, there's a little bit more opportunity, yeah. you know? Yeah, with, with the oil and gas industry, you think about it, um, you know, obviously you have the direct impacts, the drilling and the production happening in Western North Dakota, but the amount of engineering, the amount of manufacturing that's occurring, and even in the Red River Valley, Grand Forks, Fargo, the number of jobs that are supported, that those spinoff jobs, I think of, I can think of a couple of firms specifically in Grand Forks um, that have done tons of construction in building in Western North Dakota for these communities, whether it's building schools, whether it's building warehouses or other buildings. And so there, there is a much more broader ripple effect with an industry like uh, the oil and gas. Mr. Brent Broger, one more time, I'm going to ask you to hold that thought, and we come back. We're going to continue our conversation with Brent Bogar with Jade Stone Consulting. My name is Jason Spies, and this is the Multimedia Cafe. I won't ever, ever let you down. I won't fall. I won't fall. I won't fall as long as you're around me. Even when the rain falls. Even when the flood starts rising. Even when the storm comes. I am washed by the water. Even when the rain falls, even when the flood starts rising, even when the storm comes, I am washed by the water, even when the rain falls, even when the flood starts rising, even when the storm comes, I am washed by the water. Even when the rain falls Even when 
the flood starts rising Even when the storm comes I am washed by the water Over the past few months, I've told you about how unbelievable Hatch coaching is. Don't just take my word for it. Listen to what Christy Huber, president of the United Way of Cass Clay, says about Hatch coaching. One of the best things I can share is I've had an opportunity to sit down with a community leader and Eric. And we were talking and this community leader said, you know, United Way, what's your connection there? And Eric said, you know, as a child, my family would have been a family that would have benefited from United Way programming. And you don't necessarily get to see that down the road because you see someone who's been very successful in business and you see somebody who has um, helped a lot of other people along the way, but sometimes we don't stop to ask, you know, what's, what's the why? What's your why behind that? To find out more about Hatch Coaching or to have Eric Hatch speak at your event or company, visit HatchCoaching.com. That's HatchCoaching.com or call 701-212-1572. That's 701-212-1572. Welcome back to the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies. I'm your host today. And a little bit of coffee coming up there. Actually, it's hot lemon water. Woo! It was a little bit pucker, sour there. Excuse me. Sometimes when you're kind of going live it's uh nothing can ever go wrong i meant to do that see i had to hit the clock and we all right let's just get into brent boger here my name is jason speaks welcome back to the multimedia cafe and uh with some sour pucker lips here and let's get back to our interview with brent boger with jade stone consulting talking about the north dakota oil and gas tax revenue study this is brent boger with jade stone consulting Oh, without a doubt. I mean, I used to tell people all the time back in 2012 and 13, uh, you don't think Fargo is benefiting from uh, the oil and gas? Go drive by Fargo Tank, and you can't find a tank in their parking lot, man. I mean, they were selling them left and right, and, and you know this because you were there during the early days like I was. Minneapolis was the big winner in the beginning. I mean, they had all the finance yeah. set up, and they had the uh, you know, the, the train and Mississippi and all that distribution, and they were, they were an early uh, ad- advantage, I guess, uh, in, in the oil and gas world. It's, it's leveled out considerably since then. Um, what are you hearing from the oil and gas companies? I know your job's not to you know, relay messages for the oil and gas companies. But this is some pretty concerning information. And I'll be honest, if this is to me, this is beyond political. This is this is something where a discussion needs to be had by everybody, because if 50 percent of your state's income is reliant on one industry and then if you really take a microscope into it, I would argue it's closer to 60 percent when you start talking about some of those those things that we were talking about, the sales tax that the uh, nomadic energy people bring in. And North Dakota has been trying very hard to solidify these nomadic people. And just to reiterate what you were talking about, the global marketplace, that's the real deal, people. You want to go back three, four years ago, oil companies like Liberty Oil were doing remote fracking. So they had employees down in San Antonio, but they were fracking up in North Dakota. 
So they would have a little shell team up here in North Dakota, but the majority of their people were, were down living in the headquarter area because, well, you know, technology has allowed that. So why do you think North Dakota has been investing so much in the quality of life? Because that's, that's the direction it's going to where if you've got a good quality of life for your family, you'll put up with some snow. You'll put up with, you know, I mean, it's not been done. It's, it's, it's not reinventing the wheel here, but what we're trying to reinvent is a quality of life for people. So, sorry, another kind of a summary there, but um, just to kind of give people some context a little bit, what what are people saying in the energy industry? Are, are you hearing that this discussion is being had, or is it still just this finger pointing over who's getting what more than who? No, I, I think you're starting to see more of the the conversation turning from the industry of them being more so of a we're we're here for the long haul and we're supporting the state and this study shows that we're supporting everywhere across the state everyone across the state and we want to continue to do that but we need to we need to be able to do it in a competitive environment and so instead of it being a finger pointing of east west type of thing and um the industry just kind of hunkering down i think um i see um, more of the conversation being we're here to support the state but we can't be the only ones that support the state and don't don't just uh point and uh pick on us i guess you could say and okay go ahead sorry no i was just gonna say because as, as i shared earlier i mean when you look at um price and production here in north dakota prices it's a very price dependent industry and when uh, the last numbers I heard, you know, we're at somewhere between a seven and nine dollar discount off a of WTI for North Dakota crude. Well, if I can go down, if I'm a company and if I can invest, I already have lower expenses because I don't have to be dealing with the cold weather and stuff right now. And I can be down in Texas and I'm only getting a two to three dollar discount. Well, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out where where it makes better sense to make th- those investments. And every time that you increase a tax, that's an increase in expense on an industry. And so th- that all starts to play into it. And so they're, they're very cognizant of um, the, the impact they have on the state budget. But they're also, they're companies that they have investors, they have shareholders, they have people that they have to answer to. They can't just um, be charitable and say, oh, we'll stay in North Dakota and keep paying the higher taxes just to support the state. They've got to make business decisions. That's, that's the part I don't think people understand is this is not a game of chicken. This is a game of numbers. <laughs> I mean, it's just, yeah. it, right? I mean, can, can it be said any easier, I guess? Because you, you said the word picking on earlier, and we've actually done a few stories on that, primarily with the coal industry, how they flat out just get picked on. Um, yeah, and you know, and I've I've thought that with oil and gas over the last five years, more increasingly, um, we kind of position it as it's the religion of environmentalism, to where it seems like this environmentalism cause has gotten to the point of you know people follow it with a blind faith; they just they, they don't look at anything else, and to where it's almost got a religious type status to it. And um, with that comes the picking on just fossil fuels in general, and. One thing we try to do on this program is have a lot of innovation on to explain how the industry is actually being pretty proactive uh, with trying to be cleaner than they already are and that sort of thing. So um, 
Because yep. yeah, anyway, it's yeah, we we try to be logical about it. Because I mean, trying to remove the world from fossil fuels is a ridiculous statement. It's absolutely ridiculous. And any media that actually believes that is a real thing that can happen should not be have any credibility or credentials at all. Um, and that's just that. That's not a biased statement. That's just a fact of life. Um, it, I, I want to ask you. I mean, we have. Go ahead. If, I was just going to say, you know. And if you talk to the oil and gas industry, and even the coal industry, they're not—they're not trying to say that we shouldn't invest in renewables and use renewable energy. They're just saying we've got to be realistic. It's an above-all policy. It's an above-all position because we're still deriving. You know, we can talk numbers, and numbers can get skewed. But the reality is, eighty-plus percent of our energy is still from fossil fuels. You can't flip that switch tomorrow and say we're going to use all renewables. And so what they want, and I think what a logical person would say is, let's invest in all of them, but let's be realistic about where it's actually coming from and what those benefits are, and let's continue to see the, the continued um, innovation in these industries. I think of the oil and gas industry compared to 20 years ago, you look at what they're doing with multi-pad well sites so that the, the impact that they're putting on the land is so, you know, it's a tenth of what it was before with the you know and that's a simple innovation thing but i mean they are making significant investments to lessen their impact to be responsible development of the energy um resources and that was brent boger with jade stone consulting talking about the north dakota oil and gas tax revenue study that came out this week and how the state is Looking at more than 50% of all the tax revenues collected by the state is being allocated for, is it over the vast five years? Oil and gas tax extraction and production taxes accounted for more than 50% of all the tax revenues. Talking about how they're kind of putting a little bit too many eggs in the oil and gas basket. Well, that's going to do it today, folks. Uh, It's the weekend, so I'm going to get the heck out of here and wish you guys a happy weekend, a healthy weekend. And, uh, you know, one of clarity. Why don't we say that? Sometimes it's nice just to have a nice weekend where you can just think clearly. So I'm going to pass those vibes on to you folks before we head out to the weekend. But uh, I'm going to jump ship here and wish you folks a nice weekend. We'll see you Monday. Uh, I'm not even sure who we got lined up Monday. That's how quickly I want to get out the door. My name is Jason Spies. This is the Multimedia Cafe. We'll see you Monday, folks. In a Paris wheel. Said a bow-legged woman in a Paris wheel. Way down in Georgia on a tram. Roads are getting muddy and the leaves are getting damp. Gonna crash me a freight train to leave this town. Cause I don't allow the hobos to hanging around. Don't allow the hobos to hanging around. Muddy and the leaves are getting damp. Gonna catch me a freight train to leave this town. Cause I don't allow the hobos to be hanging around. Don't allow the hobos to be hanging around. Case in case it was a good engineer. Told the brakeman not to fear. Pour on the walk, shovel on the coal. Stick your head out the window, see my drivers roll. Stick your head out the window, see my drivers roll. One more time. Pull all in that railroad station. I hear it. I see Fargo coming up. Thank you.
Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts, and then you let people make up their own minds. You want someone who's competent. You don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. 